We're going to continue today in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 will be in verses, will be in Philippians 4 verses 1 through 9. And I invite you to follow along uh, in your own personal Bible or pew Bibles. I also want to let you know that our older adult ministry has donated uh, some large print Bibles, some large print pew Bibles uh, on your pew. So if you need a large print Bible, there's some large print Bibles in front of you that are on your pews that have been donated by our older adult ministry. Uh, so we'd invite you to follow along your own Bible or your pew Bible or on the back of your order of worship as well. We'll be reading Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9, where Paul shares these words with us. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, in this way my beloved. I urge Eudonia and I urge Cynthia to be in the same mind with the Lord. Yes, and I also ask you, my loyal companion, to help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hello. My name is Andy, and I'm a worrier. No, I get it honest. My mom before me was a worrier, and her mother before her was a worrier. I come from a long line of worriers. It's in our family. Don't know if it's in our upbringing or in our genetics or what, but we worry. Now, my worrying is effective, and my worry actually helps. And I've learned this because 95% of the things that I worry about never happen. So I know that my worrying must in some way serve as a protective hedge against those things that I worry about. So I know that my worrying is actually something that's quite effective. I, I've learned that in life. I, I've learned that worrying is kind of what I do. When I was at Asbury, we, um, I was doing um, a, a retreat, a confirmation retreat. I think that the first time you and I met was that confirmation retreat. First time I met Brian was there. Um, and we were there Sunday morning and I got a phone call from church. Someone had broken into our church and stolen our safe. Like they walked in to the office, took the safe and walked out with it. I'm like, well, okay, I guess that's efficient. You know, that's one way to do it, I guess. So they called me and told me. So I went and found the directors and others and said, listen, I got to go back to church. Someone robbed our church. I got to go back. So I drive back to Pedal in a hurry and I get there and I'm wearing my, my camp clothes, my shorts, my t-shirts. And I'm just, I'm just in the back just kind of pacing and just kind of just doing my thing, just worrying, just, just worrying about everything. Watching the, the police do their things. I'm just worried. And somebody asked, my youth pastor said, why is Andy back? He said, well, somebody had to worry. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do. I, I am a worrier. I am. But I don't think I'm the only one. I think many of us worry. I think most of us worry, actually. 
And sometimes we worry because we can't stay out of our own head. Sometimes we worry because we've had bad experiences in the past. What's the old saying? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, you've been bit by the snake. You're not going to pick up another, another snake. You're going to worry about snakes, as a matter of fact. So we worry. Well, many of us worry for a variety of reasons. I do think there, I think we worry as well because we live in a very anxious time. Um, I do think there are some intersections between uh, anxiety and worry. I believe that. I think, I, think, I think they feed into each other. I think we're anxious. So that makes us worry. And I think because we worry, we get more anxious. And so, like, I was doing my research this week, and um, we live in a very anxious time in the history of the world. Um, anxiety disorders are the most common, one of the most common illnesses in the world, affecting 40 million adults and over 18% of the population. Women are more than twice as likely to be affected by this than men. Anxiety disorders affect a quarter of children between 13 and 18 years of age. We live in a very anxious time. And I want to say this. This sermon is going to be about worry and how we can deal with it. But this sermon is not going to be just pray about it and you're going to be fine. I want to be very clear about that. If you got diabetes... There's no amount of praying that's going to make you not have diabetes. If you serve with high cholesterol, you can do devotional every morning, so you have high cholesterol. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with depression, if you struggle with any of these things, go see a doctor. Talk to a therapist. Talk to someone. Seek help. I have. Uh, in the ministry, when you start ministry, you have to go through therapy. I have. Our conference insurance provides EAP, counseling help for clergy. I have taken advantage of that several times. This past summer, I spent time in therapy. There's no shame in that. And we have to break apart that stigma that says, well, if you're a Christian, you can't be depressed. Yeah, you can. Sure you can. So if you struggle with these things, then get help. Talk to somebody. Talk to me. I can give you the name of some good people to talk to, people that I've talked to myself. They're, that's not a spiritual weakness. Being diabetic is not a spiritual weakness. Having an illness is not a spiritual weakness. Having anxiety is not a spiritual weakness. It's part of our makeup sometimes as humans. So talk to somebody. Now, that said, I do think there are spiritual things that we can do that can contribute to these things to make them better or make them worse. I do think that is the case. I do think there are things that we can do within our own walk with Christ to help with anxiety or help with worrying. I do believe that. There's things we can do likewise to make it worse. I think Paul has some very interesting things to say to us today regarding these things. He says something interesting. He says, this peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts in Christ, hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is interesting. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of worry. Peace is not the absence of trials and struggles. That's not what peace is. Because if that was the case, how could you stand beside the tomb of someone you love who has died and have your heart broken, but still have a sense of peace? 
Peace is not the absence of these type things. That's not what peace is. But peace is a greater understanding and a greater awareness and a greater reality of these things and how, and how God works in the midst of these things. What if your greatest disappointment is the revealing of the thirst that this world can't satisfy as the choir just sang to us? What if the trials we go through are God's hidden mercies to us? Peace is not a life free from struggle. But peace is a life we have a sense of awareness in the midst of the struggle. I think Paul tells to us this morning in the text several things that can help us have peace. And by the way, peace does not just magically float down from heaven. Peace is something that often comes through trials. Peace is something that comes through struggles. And peace comes through the paths that God gives us. So the first thing that I think Paul tells us that's important to dealing with worry is this. Paul says this. He says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of Christ, peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. Paul first says, pray about it. Give it to God. Like with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, give these requests to God. Let God know your hurt. Let God know your need. Let God know your worry. Make God aware of these these things. Say these things out loud to God. Make God aware of them. Because God already knows. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows what you're worried about. God knows what you're anxious about. And sometimes by us just saying it out loud... We give God the chance to intercede and speak peace to those worries. God knows right now what you're worrying about. Speaking speaking them out loud to God gives him the chance to interject that peace into your moment. Because what happens so often is that we understand that as big as our worries are, And as big as our anxiety is, as big as these things are, we understand they pale in comparison to the largeness of God. And there comes within that an acceptance, an understanding of where we fit in the grand scheme of things. One of the reasons why I'm a worrier, my therapist told me this summer, Andy, you feel overly responsible for others' decisions. I have no control if you choose to sleep in on a Sunday. I feel like I do. What am I doing wrong? Why wasn't so-and-so there? What did I do wrong? Why aren't they coming? Did I offend them? Did I say something that hurt them? Why, why didn't they come? Oh, no. Oh, we're struggling. You know, giving's up this year, but our budget's big, and so we're not quite meeting budget. What did I do wrong? How am I not leading right? How have I failed my church by not doing my... I have no control if you give. Now, if I'm preaching really bad sermons and I'm a terrible pastor and I'm antagonistic towards you, yeah, I cannot do those things. I got no control if you read your Bible or not. None. I got no control if you choose to come to church. None. I got no control if you choose to serve. I got no control of that. I got controls over how we can ask you and the avenues we can give you. But my therapist told me this summer, Andy, you've got to stop taking responsibilities for others' decisions. How much of your worry comes from that? How much of your worry comes from you wanting to control the decisions of your children 
our grandchildren, our parents? How many of your worry comes from you wanting to control your coworkers, wanting to control your spouse? You're not God. I'm not God. We have no control over that. We have to accept what we have control over and understand there's some things we simply have no control over. But we serve a God who does have control over things. And we serve a God who, we know Jennifer Rich referenced the scripture we read this, morning, this week. Uh, Jesus says, in one of my favorite parts of the gospel, he says, which one of you, if your child wants a piece of bread, will give them a snake? Or if your child wants something, we'll give them a scorpion. No. Said, and if you who are sinful know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your perfectly heavenly, perfect heavenly Father know how to give you good gifts? Like, if you're a parent, a grandparent, you understand there's nothing you wouldn't do for your children. Nothing. There's not a single need that your child has that you would not do your very best to meet. That's just how we are as parents. That's just, that doesn't make any of us outstanding. It just means we're parents. Okay? And we're all broken. I'm broken. There's nothing that I would not do for my children if I couldn't do it. And I'm, imp- I'm really not a good, I mean, I'm outside of God, there's not really much good in me. And if I'm as broken as I am, and I will do whatever I can do for them, how much more, how much more, how much more will our perfect Heavenly Father long to take care of us? How much more will our perfect Heavenly Father long to help us? How much more will our perfect Heavenly Father long to give us what we need? Our Father is a good Father who loves His children and who is perfect and who is with them. And even if the trials turn out in a bad way, and even if it's hard, and even if it's not what we want, what if our healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights or what it takes to know that he is near as the, as the choir sang tonight? And what if the trials of this life are his mercies in disguise? Yes, your worries are real. I'm not telling you not to worry. But what I'm saying is that God is bigger than your worries. We have to give them to him. And so we give them, but we often take them back, don't, don't we? We give them at the altar, then we take them back. We've got to learn to give. Because here's the thing. You might be thinking, well, you're right, Andy. I'm going to stop worrying. You won't get out of the sanctuary before you start worrying again. At least if you're like me, you won't. We have to learn to give them to him repeatedly. So one thing Paul says to do is, is give, is pray. Give these things to God. But the second thing Paul says is this. He says, finally, beloved, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you're not thinking? Where does your mind go when it's in neutral? Is it something anxious? Something worrisome? Something that plagues your, plagues your soul? Whatever is noble, whatever is holy, whatever is pure, think, think on these things. What are you thinking about? 
Where does your mind go to when you're just thinking? Is it something good and something life-giving? Or something that increases your anxiety and increases your worry? This past summer, you know what the best thing I did when I took my sabbatical? Is I logged off Facebook and I didn't watch the news. I still survived. The sun still came up in the morning. And I was a lot less anxious. Because we all live our Facebook lives for everybody else to see how, how perfect everything is when most of our lives are not perfect. And I just felt my anxiety level go down. I've lost weight this summer. Some of you have commented on that. I did nothing rocket science. I've just been trying to ask myself this question repeatedly. Is it life-giving? Is this action, is this decision, is it a good and life-giving thing to me? And if it's not, I'm not going to do it. I, it's funny. We, you know, we had, we had the cowbell out this morning. I'm making a confession to you. I pretty much stopped watching college football. It wasn't life-giving. Seriously. I mean, that's not because Ole Miss is terrible. Like, I didn't like it. We won. When we won, I was in a bad mood then, too. I said, I'm, I was 41 at the time. I said, I'm 41. Good Lord willing, i got another 30 years of ministry, hopefully years of life beyond that. Why am I going to keep doing something to me that does not give me life? Why am I going to spend my time, spend my efforts, spend my emotion, spend the time I should be with family? Why am I going to do this on something that is not life-giving? How many things are you doing in your life that are not life-giving to you? That don't help you, that don't help your family, that don't even help your own soul, but you just do them. I said, life is too short to do things that are not life-giving. I'm going to think on whatever is holy, whatever is noble, whatever is pure. So I didn't like that I ate too much. I didn't like that I didn't exercise. It gave me anxiety and worry. I said, I'm going to stop doing that. It is not life-giving. Now, these things are choices, y'all. Believe me, I'm a worrier. I look around every Sunday morning and I see the faces that aren't there and I worry. Oh, gosh, what if they started going to Madison Methodist or Broadmoor? I'm serious. No, hey, I'm being very transparent right now. I'm being incredibly transparent. And by the way, that kills my soul when I think that. Because Madison Methodist and Broadmoor are not our competition. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And how dare I ever think that about another body of Christ? But I worry about it. Oh, no. Low crowd. Offering's going to be bad. That's going to be a stressful finance meeting. I'm serious. That's what I worry about. I got no control over that. All I have control over is this. Will I faithfully live out the gospel in this moment? Do I take my concerns and my fears to God? Do I give them to him? And do I fill my mind with whatever is pure? But here's the thing. You know what, like... Not only is our age very anxious, but we become so quick. Like, think about um, how much work it used to be to make popcorn. You had to get the bowl out, you had the pot out, you had to put the oil in, you had to put the kernels in, you had to put the top on, it popped, and it'd take forever. Okay? Now, the hardest part about popcorn is hitting the timer and staring at it. I'm the guy, I, like, I stare at the popcorn in the microwave thinking to make it go faster. I just stare at it. 
I'm the guy that hits the elevator button repeatedly to make it go faster. I'm that guy. So, you know, we eat the popcorn, it's ready like that. We're like, well, that's the way life goes. Y'all, not worrying doesn't work like that. You're going to worry. We want it to be instant. We want to come, lay it at the altar, give it to Jesus, think on other things, and leave it alone, and never worry about it. And that's not the way it works. We're going to worry. We're going to be afraid. We're going to have fears. We're going to have legitimate fears, legitimate anxiety, legitimate concerns. That's right. That's why we've got to do this moment by moment by moment. One of the things I love about the 12-step programs is they don't talk about staying sober tomorrow or yesterday, but this moment, this moment. Will you give it to Jesus this moment? Will you think on whatever is holy, pure, and noble in this moment? And worry, but we're let, next moment worry about itself. We'll let the past worry about itself. But we'll be faithful in this moment because, frankly, that's all we have control over. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Are you tired of forfeiting your peace? Are you tired of worrying about things that you shouldn't even worry about? Are you tired of taking responsibilities for others' actions? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Think on these things. We have a part to play in this. We are not powerless in our worry. We have a part to play. God did not create you to be a worrier. He did not create you to be anxious. Think about how many times it says don't worry in the Bible. But this will not magically float down from heaven. There are choices we must make in this journey. Today, friends, what choices will we make? Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for giving us your grace and giving us your peace and giving us your hope. God, teach us not to worry. Teach us to trust. Teach us to have peace in all things. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen. Our closing hymn will be hymn number 526, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Today, near the final song, the altar is open. Perhaps you've never made the decision to put your full faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is a great day to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Perhaps you're tired of worrying about something, and you're ready to give it to the Lord. Today is a great day to give it to Jesus. Now, you may give it to the altar right now and pick it back up. That's okay. Keep laying it back down. Perhaps you're tired of letting the anxiousness plague your thoughts. Today is a great day to start over. Perhaps you'd like to learn how to join our church. I'd love to talk to you. But this morning during our final song, the altar is open. Won't you come?